Hey everyone, Greg here, and I'm back again with another episode of See It or Shove It, this time with our regular episode where I focus on the latest releases in theaters and on streaming services, and I'm also going to let you know about the state of the Oscar race now that those gonzo SAG awards happened this weekend that have shaken up a lot of the races. I'll also do a Be Kind Rewind segment as well as... Binge it or singe it. So it's a busy week. Let's get going. For our featured movies this week, a bear becomes a menace to society after becoming the cocaine bear. Emily Bronte uses her life experience to create Wuthering Heights in Emily. Oscar nominee Judd Hirsch catches up with technology in I, Mordecai. And Kelsey Grammer leads the Jesus Revolution. First up, In the 1980s, a bear roaming through a forest in Georgia came upon a snack even Yogi Bear and Boo Boo never found. This is Cocaine Bear. The bear, it fucking did cocaine. A bear did cocaine. There was a bear. A bear? It was far. Hey, that's inappropriate. You say, bears can't climb trees. Of course I can! In 1985, a drug smuggler began dropping shipments of cocaine from his plane over the Chattahoochee-Oconee National Forest. When he attempts to parachute out of the plane, he hits his head, knocks himself out, and dies when the plane lands in Knoxville, Tennessee. Back in the forest, a black bear comes upon the discarded cocaine and has a field day ingesting it before aggressively attacking two hikers. Across town, two middle school students decide to play hooky, ditch school for the day, and spray paint the falls in the forest. When they arrive, they find a brick of coke and a drugged-out bear who scares them both and they try to escape. When Sari, a mother of one of the children, played by Carrie Russell, discovers that her daughter has skipped school, she rushes to the forest and trying to find her. She joins up with the park ranger Liz, played by Margot Martindale, who also starred in The Americans with Carrie Russell, who also starred with Matthew Reese, her partner, her husband, I'm not sure if they're married, and he is the guy that knocked himself out in the plane, so it was kind of an Americans reunion, which I loved. Um, but anyway, back to the movie. Liz joins up with the Um, a man named Peter, and he's played by modern family actor Jesse Tyler Ferguson, and the three go on a search for her daughter. Also searching the forest is a detective named Bob, played by Isaiah Whitlock Jr., who is hot on the trail of the drug cartel, and those people are searching for the cocaine in the forest, and they want to do that so they won't be punished by the drug kingpin, Sid, played by the late great Ray Liotta in one of his final appearances. Anyway, it sounds complicated, but trust me, it's not. Can everyone find what they are looking for before the bear devours them all? When I saw the trailer for this, I predicted it would be a shove-it. And I give this film a... See it! Okay, this film was utterly ridiculous, but not necessarily in a bad way. The film does not pretend to be anything more than what it is. It knows it has a ridiculous true story to tell, 
and director Elizabeth Banks makes no excuses for the lunacy at all. The performances are all super campy, the gore is over the top, and the script is as cheesy as it comes. But you know what? It worked. I was entertained throughout, and the relatively short runtime worked in its favor. I think any longer, it may have tipped over to the shove-it side. Um, If after watching the trailer appeals to you, or if you're the least bit curious to go see The Cocaine Bear, uh, then go see it. It's actually a fun time at the theater. Next, an ailing author details the inspiration behind the classic novel Wuthering Heights. This is Emily. Emily Bronte. You're off to become a wonderful teacher. You know I don't like to meet new people. What do you want to do? Do you think I could be a writer? I have lots of stories. Mr. Waitman will be tutoring you in French. He speaks with such poetry. Any man can speak. What I want to know is, can he actually do? Do what? (laughs) The film opens with Emily Bronte, played by Emma Mackey, sick and near death, being asked by her sister Charlotte to recall the events that inspired her greatest work, Wuthering Heights. Emily remembers how in her younger years she met William Waitman, played by Oliver Jackson Cohen, a man who has been hired by Emily's father to teach her French. Annoyed at first, Emily and William have a rocky relationship with Emily being obstinate toward him. One night, while playing a game, Emily pretends to be possessed by the ghost of her dead mother. When a strong wind blows the window open, everyone is disturbed by this, including Waitman. Emily is very socially awkward, so she found it hilarious. Meanwhile, Emily and her brother Branwell, played by Finn Whitehead, engage in various shenanigans, including peering into neighbors' windows and scaring them, and drinking and using opium. When they get caught scaring the neighbors, Branwell is sent away to work as a tutor, while Emily goes unpunished as she denies any involvement. The tension between her and Waitman continues to grow and slowly develops into a romantic affair, leading to conflict and emotional turmoil. Will Emily and William eventually embrace their passionate love for each other, or will destiny intervene and split them up? I give this film a... See it! I'm not a huge fan of period pieces, and this one was slow-moving for a while, but the second half really ratcheted up the tension and hooked me into seeing how it would all play out. Emma Mackey and Oliver Jackson Cohen really had sparks between them and portrayed their roles with passionate urgency that really hooked me. Which, by the way, I have to ask, didn't those people back then have anything more comfortable to fuck in than a haystack? I mean, that can't be comfortable getting impaled with hay in the middle of the deed. But, well, whatever. The film's tone was pretty bleak and dark, which I enjoyed, and the direction by actress-writer-director Frances O'Connor was splendid. Yes, much of what is presented is speculative, as artifacts of Bronte's life are few and far between. But what is speculated all makes sense and very well could have happened. If you like period pieces and or Wuthering Heights, I think you'll enjoy this. When retirement becomes routine, a retired plumber takes on the challenge of learning new technology. This is I, Mordecai. This 
This is my father, Mordecai. 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 And this is the story. Are you having trouble hearing from that thing? I had trouble hearing, period. Of how one small change. He knew I could. <laughs> you see how people stare at that thing. I don't understand the buttons. Opened up his world. I'll teach you. I take lessons from my phone. In ways he never imagined. It's time to lift a little. <laughs> You're an 80-year-old man. Act like it. Mordecai Samuel, played by current Oscar nominee Judd Hirsch, is a retired handyman who has also survived the Holocaust. He is a man who needs to have a purpose, even though his son Marvin, played by Lord of the Rings actor Sean Astin, would rather he just rest and enjoy a carefree life. Marvin is trying to close a deal on the cigar company he's building with his father, and he needs his father out of his hair because he feels he jinxes everything. So Marvin buys Mordecai an iPhone and hires a techie named Nina, played by Asia Denea Hale. He's initially resistant to replacing his old worn-out flip phone with aluminum foil as the antenna, but Mordecai eventually warms up to Nina and the two begin a friendship over time. Meanwhile, Mordecai's wife, Fela, played by Hirsch's former Taxi co-star, Carol Kane, is frustrated by his new device and gets reason unreasonably upset. It turns out she has the beginning stages of dementia. Can Mordecai embrace new technology without it consuming his life? I give this film a... See it! This is a small little film that has a huge heart. Apparently, it is the true story told by director Marvin Samuel, who hit the jackpot when he cast Judd Hirsch in the main role. Hirsch is a perfect fit for this character. He has a wonderful balance of humor and emotion that resonates throughout the entire film. His visions of the Holocaust are presented in animated sequences that play an important role later in the film, so that was an interesting diversion throughout the film, I thought. The supporting cast is fine, if not a bit underused, especially Kane, who doesn't have many opportunities to show off the comedic skills she is known for, but when she does, it is hilarious, especially a scene between her and a potential investor in Marvin's company. I recommend this as a cute film to watch on TV once it begins hitting the streamers. When a minister meets a hippie in the late 60s, he gets a look into an untapped world of religion. This is Jesus Revolution. These people are hippies, rebels against old-fashioned authority. I think these kids need help. They need us a bath. You're passing judgment on people you know nothing about. Maybe that's why your church is so empty. When God walks in here, brings me a hippie. I'll ask him what it's all about, because I do not understand. His house has a very good vibe. In this true story film, Frasier star Kelsey Grammer plays Chuck Smith, a minister at Calvary Chapel, a congregation that is seemingly losing its appeal with society, leaving Smith frustrated as to how to move forward with a changing world. When his daughter meets a hippie named Lonnie Frisbee, played by Jonathan Rumi, she brings him home to meet her father. At first put off by his outward appearance, Chuck eventually relents and begins inviting Frisbee and his friends to join in at his church. This does not go over well with some members of the church community. 
But Smith powers forward because he believes that anyone is welcome to worship. And he is inspired by Frisbee's desire to spread the word of God. Meanwhile, Greg Laurie, played by Joel Courtney, is a new worshiper who begins to gain an awakening through religion and begins a desire to lead a church of his own, with the support of his girlfriend Kathy, who must overcome her protective father in order to begin a life with Greg. The movement begins taking shape and eventually becomes what Time Magazine referred to as the Jesus Revolution. I give this film a... See it. Full disclosure, I am not a religious person, like, at all. However, I went into this film with an open mind and found it to be a nice story for the most part. Yes, there were moments I rolled my eyes that I found preachy, um, but this film stays away from being overly preachy throughout, and I appreciated that. If you're into faith-based films, you'll enjoy this. I will note, though, after watching the film, I researched some of the backstory and was surprised to read that the real Lonnie Frisbee ended up getting divorced, living a secret gay life while admonishing gay people for their ultimate sins, and he ended up dying of AIDS. Surprise, surprise, that is not mentioned at all in this film, nor is it even hinted at, all of which speaks to all of the problems that I have with organized religion and its hypocrisy. So, needless to say, reading that left a bad taste in my mouth. But, in the end, it doesn't take away from the fact that the film they chose to tell was a pleasant enough watch. I just don't appreciate the lack of transparency with the truth, but whatever, the film was enjoyable for what it was. That's it for this week's featured films. To recap, Cocaine Bear is in theaters now and is a see-it. Emily is in theaters now and is a see-it. I, Mordechai, is in theaters now and is a see-it. And Jesus Revolution is in theaters now and is a see-it. My pick of the week would probably be Cocaine Bear because it is just so ridiculous that you got to see it to believe it. Now let's move on to my segment where I share where you can find some of the films I enjoyed within the last year that are now available for home viewing. This is now streaming. That Bitch Megan Who Terrorized Children and Adults Alike is now streaming on Peacock in its unrated version. It's actually a fun movie if you don't take it too seriously. So um, to hear my full review on that, listen to episode 53. Let's move on to Oscar Outlook. So I am down to only five titles that I need to see before the Oscars on March 12th. Unfortunately, three of them are not easily available to watch, so I'm not sure if I'm going to get to all of them, but I'm going to keep trying. At the time of this recording, we now have all of the major guilds weighing in on the race with the exception of the Writers Guild, which will announce their winners next weekend. This weekend were two of the big ones, the Producers Guild and Screen Actors Guild each bestowed their honors. The PGA crowned Everything Everywhere All at Once as their best picture of the year. I thought maybe Top Gun Maverick would be selected considering how important that movie was in bringing people back to the theaters in large, large crowds, but it didn't happen. 
So I'm starting to get my latch ready to lock in everything everywhere as my prediction for best picture at the Oscar, but I'm not going to clasp it shut just yet. I just have a feeling that the film will be too divisive for older members of the Academy, but I'll see how I'm feeling next weekend when I record my final predictions episode. I think I'm just going to have to bite the bullet and pick it to win, which it's not a bad movie, so I just think it's a little out there for older members of the Academy, but we'll find out. And on Sunday, the Screen Actors Guild dropped bombshell after bombshell in the acting categories. If you haven't yet listened to my reaction episode, that is available to download. But one thing is for sure, the only acting category I can safely say is locked would be the Best Supporting Actor with Kihi Kwan almost certain to win. As far as Supporting Actress, with Jamie Lee Curtis winning the SAG Award, I think that puts Angela Bassett on shaky grounds. Y'all know that she is my personal pick, and I have said I can't imagine that we continue to live in a world where Angela Bassett does not have an Oscar, but I'm now not as confident that it's going to happen, unfortunately. Um, But we'll see. Best Actor is down to Austin Butler and Brendan Fraser, who won the SAG. I think momentum is behind Butler, but Fraser's speech will probably give him a lot of goodwill right as voting starts this week. And as far as Best Actress, the race is still between Michelle Yeoh and Kate Blanchett. Um, I'll be starting to record my Oscar episode next weekend, where I'll bring you my picks and predictions. So, um, we'll see where everything lands with my prediction episode. I'm going to record that this weekend. I'm actually going to have a guest critic joining me for the episode, and we're going to give our personal picks and who we predict will win in each of the 24 categories. So please join us for that. Now it's time for my segment where I look at films from the past. This is Be Kind, Rewind. Continuing on my series where I take the 52-week movie challenge, this week's topic was a film set during a historic war. You voted, and the winner actually surprised me a bit. You selected Roman Polanski's The Pianist. By order of the governor of the Warsaw district, there will be created a Jewish district in which all Jews will have to reside. You must get away with us. Not leaving. Can't let my chances here. They have to keep moving now. The Germans are hunting down indiscriminately now. Keep as quiet as possible. No one knows you're here. I want to help. I want to do something. Don't let them get you alive. The film stars Adrian Brody in his Oscar-winning role as classical pianist Wladyslaw Spielmann, a man who grew up privileged in Warsaw, Poland. With Hitler and the Nazi army encroaching upon Poland, the Spielmanns believe it to be just a passing annoyance that won't disrupt their lives too much. Oh boy, were they wrong. Believing England and France will set up and provide Poland with aid, they don't take the threat of war very seriously. When a bomb demolishes the radio studio in which Vladislav was performing, he begins to worry about how the war is bigger than he had imagined, especially as he and his family are selected for deportation to a Nazi concentration camp. Knowing this will ultimately end in death, he goes into hiding at a friend's apartment, eventually running from abandoned building to abandoned building, trying to avoid capture by the German troops. It is a brutal film to watch, but an important one as well. The transformation Brody made throughout the 
film was incredible, and he deserved all of the accolades he earned. The film won top honors at the 2002 Cannes Film Festival before being released in the fall. It was nominated for seven Academy Awards, winning three, Best Actor for Brody, who, remember, he planted that big kiss on presenter Halle Berry when he got on stage, Best Adapted Screenplay, and most controversially, Best Director for Polanski, who did not attend the ceremony due to his being a U.S. fugitive for the alleged rape and drugging of a minor in the 1970s. When Harrison Ford read his name as the winner, shock and awe was seen and heard throughout the auditorium that was scattered with cheers, gasps, and boos, even. With a budget of $35 million, the film went on to make more than $120 million. The Pianist can be rented on various platforms, and I recommend watching it, because it's very good. Next week's Be Kind Rewind topic is an independent film. With the Oscars coming up, I'll give a selection of Oscar winners to choose from. The choices will be up for a vote, and those will be Precious, Whiplash, Crash, and my favorite Best Picture winner in the last 20 years, Moonlight. I guess all independent films only have to have one-word titles. Anyway, come to my Instagram at theatershoveit to vote for which film I should focus on, and the post with the most likes will be next week's segment. Finally this week, let's move on to Binge It or Singe It. A notorious narcotics dealer makes a deal to garner a confession out of a murderer. This is Apple TV Plus's series, Blackbird. We would like you to transfer to another prison and befriend someone to elicit a confession. We suspect that this man killed 14 women, but we only have one of the bodies. Larry has vivid dreams. Tell me about him. In my dreams, I kill women. Was it just dreams? Based on the autobiographical novel, In With the Devil, A Fallen Hero, A Serial Killer, and A Dangerous Bargain for Redemption, the series focuses on the true story of James Jimmy Keene, played here by Taryn Edgerton, a narcotics dealer who is arrested in a police sting called Operation Snowplow. When he is sentenced to 10 years in prison without the possibility of parole, Jimmy is offered a chance to gain a fully commuted sentence on the condition that he transferred to a maximum security prison where he would use his charm to solicit a confession out of Larry Hall, played menacingly by Paul Walker Hauser. Hall is accused of murdering 14 women, but police do not have the evidence to support the accusations, leaving them with the option of using Keene as a plant. The deal is incredibly dangerous for Keene, but he takes them up on the offer. I watched the show in its entirety one weekend last month. It is so tense and well-written and acted that it will have you hooked. I really enjoy Taron Edgerton, and I'm still sore for, from him not receiving an Oscar nomination for his portrayal of Elton John in the 2019 film Rocket Man. God, he was incredible in that film. Hauser is really good here, too. You may know him from his roles in Richard Jewell and Cruella, but here he is so creepy that you won't know whether to believe him or not when he starts running his mouth about his alleged crimes. As with our earlier movie, Cocaine Bear, this stars Ray Liotta in one of his final roles as Jimmy's father, 
It's a quiet performance as a father who just wants to help his son as much as he can. The show is on Apple TV Plus and can be streamed now in its entirety. And I definitely recommend you do that because it is a binge it. So that's it for this week's episode of See It or Shove It. Thank you so much for joining me. I'm grateful. Support your local theaters by going to see some of the movies I reviewed this month. And while you're at it, share my podcast with your movie and TV loving friends and family in person and on social media. Don't forget, you can now drop me a line at seeitorshoveit at gmail.com and let me know of any ideas or suggestions. And follow me on Instagram at seeitorshoveit and rate me wherever you get your podcasts. Come back next week to hear my thoughts on Michael B. Jordan's Creed 3 and the rest of next week's new releases. Have a great week, everyone. This episode of See It or Shove It was recorded in Orlando, Florida and is produced by Gregory G. Productions. Music by Mysterio Music, all rights reserved.